For those of you who have been through 101 before, today's going to be beneficial to you because it's going to be a reminder of God's distinctives for our church. But I've prayed that God would make this fresh for you, and I'm going to deliver it a little differently than I have in previous sessions. The reason why is people who have been at the church the longest, I have discovered sometimes don't understand the church's language because it's been so long since they've been to one of those meetings and they just kind of know how things happen and haven't heard some of the language that describes who we are. And so I'm praying that God will speak to you today and I know that he will. Well, let's talk about church a little bit. I'm one of those that I love the church. I understand that people have been hurt by the church and damaged by the church. And, you know, there's probably a time where I was too. But church has really brought so much good to my life. Especially it's brought a living, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about CIL Forward... We want to talk about the future. Where's God taking us? Where are we going to go? And I get asked the question a lot. What's the vision for the church? What's your vision? First of all, I want to say that the vision is really not mine. It's God's vision for the church. I don't have plans to leave anytime soon. Hope you guys don't get rid of me for a long time. So this always makes people nervous when I start talking like this. But there will come a day when someone else will be leading this church. And when that happens, God's vision will still be intact because it's God's vision for the church. It's not Aaron's vision for the church. I'm a steward of the vision right now. And what an honor that is. I get to give talks like this and messages like this, and I get to give my vocation during the week to work on the vision. But it's really God's vision, and God's vision will prevail. God's vision reflects his character, and reflects the scripture. And then it is a distinctive for groups of people who come together because God is giving our church a personality. And so when I, when I think about the vision of the church, this graphic you see on the screen helps understand what the vision is because the first circle represents the vision God has. We have a vision for you. I want to see you grow. If you, if you spend time walking with us, being in fellowship, being part of the family, when that run is over, when that time is over, when that era is over, I want you to say, listen, I love God more. I love people more. I've seen Aaron and Beth grow, and we've grown with them, and we're better disciples of Jesus now because of the time that we've spent with the family known as the church at Indian Lake. And then there's a vision for us, as you see that in the second circle, for us to be a community, for us to grow in relationship, for us to grow in deeper levels of community, to go through adversity together, to celebrate accomplishments together. You can access a, a good preaching in so many different ways. You can hear flawless music, but there's something powerful when we come together. God does something in our midst when we meet on Sunday morning and in small groups, and in discipleship opportunities. And when we serve our community together, there is something powerful that happens when God's people do life together. And then we have a vision for all, as you see the third circle, the whole world, to reach into the neighborhoods and communities 
in which we live, and then to expand that with global influence. And so we like to call ourselves an intra-denominational church. Now, when I'm talking about our church around town, I usually just say, well, we're non-denominational because that communicates that we do K-Love music and you can wear blue jeans. <laughs> but the term non-denominational often, in, in, in its definition on its own, can sound like you're anti-denominational. And that's not true. Because we know that all of you have a story, and most likely most of your stories, if, you're, if you've been Christians in the past, um, you've most likely come from a church that's been part of a denomination. And we celebrate that. We don't minimize that because God is still using the denominations and he's using churches. So we love those and we're not asking you to abandon the distinctives that you may have grown up with. I know not all of you grew up in church or even grew up as a Christian. We're not asking you to abandon those distinctives. What we're saying is that we are going to come together as a collective and bring the strengths of our traditions together under the leadership of Jesus Christ, under the leadership of his word, under the leadership of the church traditions. And so it is that God is using the different backgrounds to make us who we are. I'll get back to some of this language in a second, but I want to talk to you a little bit about three churches, three churches that you may not know about. You remember a few years ago that there was upheaval in the nation of Egypt. And as the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt, the square there in Cairo was such an alarming sight as you saw decades of rule be overturned by the people. And then that power be transferred to the Muslim Brotherhood. And we didn't know what type of impact that would have on our world, and we're probably still kind of trying to figure that out right now. But something that you may not realize, and I certainly didn't realize fully then, is that in the Middle East, in some of these countries with, in which we have significant international disputes and problems, we have Christians, brothers and sisters who are worshiping there. There's a significant minority Christian population in many of the hot spots of the world. Iran, for example, there could be up to 15% of the population of Iran that's Christian. That's highly possible. 10, 10% is known. 15% is a possibility. And Egypt has a significant minority. Again, it is the minority compared to Islam. But even that, even that statistical minority is a lot of people. And there's a church that's in the worst part of Cairo. And I want to show you a picture of this church. It's a, it's a pretty picture. But as you can see, this church isn't really big. You wouldn't think that thousands could attend this church. But the story that was told to me by a trusted friend, this story is in the 1970s, the government restricted the size that this growing church could build. They could only build a certain amount of square footage because of government regulation and centralized government planning. And so they built what they could. But as they built, they discovered in the rocks you see behind the picture 
that there was more to the property than first realized. For they discovered there was a cave behind the church. And here's what's happening behind those rocks in the cave. Tens of thousands, up to 10,000 people from what I've read could be in a sanctuary like that. There's multiple caves. And in this place where the church is not culturally celebrated, in this place, this country of Egypt in which churches are, excuse me, Christians are in the vast minority statistically, there is a church of 70,000 people, which to my knowledge is bigger than any church in America. It's the biggest church in the Middle East. God is moving even when the political climate isn't advantageous to the faith. Even when Christians are in a minority and there's a hostile majority. Even when the government restricted, according to the story that was told to me, the size of a church, there was a cave behind the church that God continued to expand the influence and thousands of people attend this church in Cairo. When the history books begin to talk about the 21st century and the early part of the 21st century, the city of Aleppo will be remembered because the last four years there has been an atrocity during that civil war in Syria and Aleppo has been the hot spot of where devastation has taken place. What a complex issue. That's why we need to pray for our leaders. I've gone back and forth. What should we do? What is the right answer? Who knows? Who knows what the right answer? Only God himself would know because war is so uh, destructive on the psyche of men and the lives of men and women and children. But there is a significant minority of Christians in Syria. And in December of 2016, just one month ago, you can read the Time Magazine article, is that after four years of no public worship, the Christians in Aleppo were able to have Christmas Eve service again. They were able to worship the Lord again. Because even in the midst of destruction, even in the midst of civil war, even in the midst of, of international chaos in which no one knows how to solve the problem, there is a church. There, there is a gospel message. There is the people of God who are faithful to God even in the most dire of circumstances. And so in Syria, as you know, there are many refugee camps as people are displaced. And I want to show you this picture of a refugee camp in Syria. And you see on the tent there is a cross symbolizing the work of the Syrian church. The Syrian church is reaching out to Muslim um, refugees who do not have a place to live. And the Gospel Herald website had this article from which I found, found this picture. And the article says this, in a display of grace and unity, Christian churches in the war-torn region of Aleppo are opening their doors to displace Muslim families where children are taught the truth of the gospel. A 28-year-old lady said this, many Muslims were genuinely surprised when they met Christian women in our church willing to serve them. Many are rethinking the faith they grew up in and have dropped their hostility towards Christians. Isn't it amazing 
that in a climate, an environment, a, a situation where there's devastating civil war, the church still can thrive there. Because whenever people proclaim the gospel, and whenever people live the scripture and reflect the attitude of Jesus, the church will rise in any situation, in any circumstance, for the message of Jesus is the most powerful message this planet will ever hear. In the early 21st century, there was a lady in the mountains of eastern Kentucky in Appalachia named Maggie Wright. And she didn't have a church to worship. So her husband built a little country church. He built it himself on their land. And here's a picture of that land. This is a little country church in eastern Kentucky. And Maggie Wright, that's my wife Beth's grandmother. And her grandpa built that church on their family property. Today, that church is Pleasant Home Baptist Church. And let me tell you, it's a church that's alive. It's a church that's reaching its community. It's a church that has brought children from the holler, from back into the mountains, and fed breakfast and taught them the gospel. It's a church that has prayed for my family when we've had crisis situations. And in an area where the economy is drying up, in an area where the second and third generations are having to leave and go to the cities to find employment, and there's reason for it to be a dark place spiritually, the drugs that are there, the cycles of poverty, there's a church there, and there's a beacon of light. There's a place, I've been in that church, and I've heard Jesus sung and Jesus proclaimed. Because why? Because when God's people stand on the message, when God's people live out the truth, the church cannot be stopped. The church cannot be silenced. The church will be relevant in any and every situation. So let's go to Matthew chapter 16. I want to tell you why I'm passionate about what I get to do and why it's so important to me that you care about the success of the church God has called you to. Matthew 16, it says, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Let me stop there and talk to you for a second. This this reminds us of the evangelical tradition we have that I'll speak to momentarily. That conversion happens in the heart of an individual. And so that's why that we have our Awana and our third and fourth, our fourth and fifth connections ministry, and our kindergarten through third journeys ministry. We have ministry to teenagers here because we want our children and teenagers to answer this question that Jesus is asking them, who do you say that I am? See, it's not enough that your grandpa built the church on the family property. Beth had to answer the question herself. It's not, a, not enough that my children who 
typically sit on this first row as they did the first service, that their dad is a preacher. Abby and Luke and Lincoln will have to answer and have answered that question themselves. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? This is why we're here and why we individually, when we individually take communion, we, we take the bread in the symbolic cup and, and we answer this question. Do we believe that Jesus is just a prophet? Is he just a great teacher? Or do we believe Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the living God? Who do you say that I am? This is the question. And this is what the church is built on. The church is built on changed lives. As long as Jesus is still changing lives, the church will still exist. As long as the gospel is proclaimed and people have the opportunity to receive this gift of grace from God, then the church will thrive. And so, moving on in the narrative, in verse 17, and Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Say, on this idea of personal conversion, on this idea of life change, on this idea of answering this question, on this concept of changed lives, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the, or the forces of Hades, will not withstand it. The King James Version, you may have remembered the traditional interpretation of this. It says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It means this, is that when we're doing the work of the church... We're not just waiting for the coming of the Lord. We're actually advancing the cause of God. We're bringing the culture of heaven to earth. We're advancing into darkness. We're pulling people out of despair. We're pulling people out of ignorance. We're fighting against injustice. We're making our neighborhoods, our schools, our world a greater place. We're advancing light. We're advancing the culture of Jesus. We're advancing the fruits of the Spirit. We're advancing the power of God. And when the church is on the move, and when lives are being changed, even the gates of hell itself, the forces of Hades cannot stop the advancement of the church when Jesus is changing lives. All right, that was pretty good. Amen? All right. All right. Let me talk to you a little bit then, who we are then. We call ourselves a three-stream church. And here are the three streams. The first stream is a liturgical stream. This is a stream that I did not grow up in this tradition but I'm growing to appreciate it more and more. This connects us to the traditional church when we recite creeds together, when we pray prayers like we did during worship today, which most weeks those prayers come from something called the Book of Common Prayer, which has been around for about 500 years. And these are prayers that Christians all over the world say. The prayer we said this morning is the same prayer that churches all over the world prayed today. And they prayed them in various languages. And it reminds us that here on this little, little hill here in Hendersonville, 
that we're not some sectarian church all by ourselves, as if we have the only, only answer. We're part of a bigger story. We're part of the church that Jesus commissioned in Matthew chapter 16. We're, we're part of the church that existed in the year 300, in the year 1400, and in 1922. We're all one church. And the language that we use joins the language of brothers and sisters throughout generations and all over the world. Many Sundays I preach from the lectionary, which is a system that over a three-year period takes us through the Bible. So, for example, last week I preached from Psalm 40, and that was the psalm selected for that Sunday. And it gives me a starting place to hear from the Spirit of God. I don't have to preach from that. I'm not preaching from the lectionary today. And sometimes I do series that are not in the lectionary. But there's an awareness. There's awareness of the rhythm of the church calendar. We're in the season of Epiphany right now. We'll move into Lent, into Easter, to Pentecost Sunday, to normal time, then back to Advent. And we follow this rhythm. It helps us, but it also gives us marking points. And it helps our children and future generations have something to connect to. And we're finding this, that millennials, which are roughly those who were born 1980 and afterwards, are very much drawn to tradition. I don't have time right now to explain why that is and why sociologists think that, but I've found it true to be practical. Those who are roughly you know, 37 and under here really like the fact that we have weekly communion. They really like the fact that we have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. A lot of you baby boomers are kind of like, eh. I don't really know what Aaron's doing, but I guess it's pretty cool. So learn with us. There are reasons why generations think differently. But there's power in that liturgical representation. And we're so excited about continuing to grow in that. Not because we feel like we have to. It's because the Spirit's leading us that way. And we're learning more about that as we go. The second tradition, the second stream is the evangelical stream. This is the, the stream that believes that Scripture is God's word and that we derive truth from Scripture. We believe in the power of conversion. We believe that it's not acceptable just to enjoy the message of Jesus and not care for our fellow man. So we share the message of Jesus through good work and we do it through evangelism and we give people an opportunity to hear about the name of Jesus. That's why before you leave today, I'm going to remind you about something we start tomorrow night called Alpha. Near you is a red card. If you want to grab one of those, which I know can be scary, sometimes you're like, there is stuff on the chairs. That means the church wants me to do something. Do not grab it. Do not touch it because I'll be obligated. Knowledge is power. Well, it's not that way. If anything, I want you to pray. I want you to take one of those cards home so you can pray for Alpha, but it is an invitation card. And if you take that card right now, it says, got questions about life, and you flip it over, and you say, what is Alpha? It says, Alpha is an opportunity to explore life in the Christian faith in a friendly, open, and informal environment. No pressure up, no pressure, no follow-up, no charge. And this type of strategy really appeals to people. Starting tomorrow night for the next 11 or 12 Mondays, people will come. We're going to serve them food. They're going to sit at round tables. We're going to watch a documentary. We're going to talk about Christianity. It's that simple, but I believe God's going to use it. And some of you need to attend this, and, and you just need to learn more about Christianity. I would love for you to come and be a participant. Come and learn about Christianity 
in a way that is not pressured. You're not going to be tested. You're not going to uh, be made to feel inferior because you haven't had experiences others have had. It'll be a chance for you to just experience um, what Christianity is and to explore that. And then the third stream is the charismatic stream. We believe that the power of God is alive and available. and We want to be people with capacity. We make our plans led by the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can surprise us at any time. We believe that the book of Acts is not just a historical account, that the Bible is living and active and it shows us that God is available to touch his people with his presence and that healing can occur and that a move of God's power can touch us and the veil between heaven and earth has been ripped and so we can sometimes experience his presence in a real and a tangible way because yes, faith is about our intellect but it's not just about our intellect. We have a spirit man and that spirit man has been designed to connect with God. And one of the things you'll learn about in Alpha is about the Holy Spirit and about how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that will be several weeks into it, but this is an important part of who we are. Here are the five things that we try to use as a filter as we plan who we are. And it is this, discipleship. Every single one of us needs discipleship. If you think, if you're a Christian and you think you don't need discipleship anymore, you're deceived. Every single person needs discipleship. We need to continue to discover what it's like to follow Jesus. And what happens is when we get this sense of establishment, like, oh, yeah, I got the church thing down, and I'm just going for other people. We don't realize it, but we drift, 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 drift. And that's why weekly worship and small groups and community, these are all part of the discipleship process, learning how to have a regular devotional time, are part of the discipleship process. And you need discipleship. Listen to me. You need discipleship. You need the church. Why do I know that? Because I need it. I need discipleship. Evangelism, we've already talked about that. We've talked about Alpha. That's another biblical purpose. Worship, we're, we're here not only to be entertained, Sometimes being at church is entertaining, especially like when I almost fall off the stage here or if I tell a story that makes you laugh. And entertainment certainly isn't wrong, but it's not why we're here. We're here to worship him. We're, we're here to experience worship. And when we become people of worship, it makes our God bigger and it makes us smaller. And that's such a beneficial thing for us. If we weren't people of worship, where would we be? God's created us to be people of worship. We're people of fellowship. And that's why we have things like the Take Two 55-ish and over group this Saturday. I know that you guys do not want that to be called Senior Citizens Group anymore, okay? So, so that'll be the last time. Now, Take Two is for people like 50-ish, 5-ish, give or take, who want to hang out. That's, that's coming up this Saturday. Our youth ministry and children's ministry, we do fellowship opportunities. Our 242 groups, food and fellowship is part of who we are because God always moves through relationships. We're not these isolated beings who just are receptors of information, are receptors of, of an experience. We're people who need each other. We're interconnected. We need conversation. We need face-to-face -face time. You need for your name to be known. And I'm getting to where I can't memorize everybody's name, so I need more small groups. Because we need each other. 
And then service. We're there to serve our community and to serve people. And we, we have big events like the back-to-school blessing, and we have big events like, like Thanksgiving blessing, and we have a monthly the, the uh, veterans outreach. But all of the works of service are led by volunteers at this church. We don't have a pastor who sits here all week figuring out ways to organize service opportunities. We serve and serve and serve. And so I met with volunteers this week who want to start a outreach to the nursing home. And this, there is no limit. If you want to serve, you want the church's blessing, come talk to me. Let's figure out a way to serve. Let's figure out a way to engage. I know you have a yes in your heart already. Because when we do a service outreach project, all of you sign up. What we need is leadership to that. We need people who can lead people and take the beautiful hearts we have here at the Church of Indian Lake and help organize it and help make it a success so that we can serve, serve, serve. Because um, especially in the, day age and, in the day and age and culture that we live in is people don't want to hear our message until they experience our love. So we have to be people who sacrificially serve, sacrificially give. Here's the strategy God's given to us. Because of that, we focus on the next generation. We focus on the next generation. That's why most of our staff are for children's ministry and youth ministry. We have four paid staff members for children's ministry. We have two for youth ministry. And we want to make sure our kids have a chance to hear the gospel. That's our greatest evangelistic field because most people come to know Jesus statistically before the age of 18. We also know that in this post-Christian culture, and yes, we live at a post-Christian culture, it takes all of us. It takes the whole church, not just a family and not just a few people. It takes the whole church to invest into the next generation in order for the next generation to be discipled. We have also small groups, whether it's 242 groups, whether it's men, the men's group that meets on Sunday mornings, and we're going to launch new men's groups with the Lord's help. We're talking about that right now. We have a, a ladies group that will meet tomorrow morning called Fearless Moms. We have uh, two Bible studies that meet on Tuesday. Becky Boyer, if you can wave your hand, Becky leads one of these, and her friend Heidi, I'm not sure if she's in this service, my wife Beth over here, she leads one on Tuesday in the p.m., and so these are Bible studies. So we, we want you to get involved in a small group. Assimilation is the next strategy. That's kind of what we're doing now. It's trying to get people from just being participants to being involved. You're welcome to just come and sit as long as you want. I'm not like some of those pastors who will say, if you're just going to come and sit, don't bother. No, you can come and sit. Go ahead and bother. Come on anyway. But when you're ready, when you're ready, we want you to be part of the family. We want you to be known. We want you to hang out with us. And then missions is the last one. Missions both locally and globally. We do a missions trip to Appalachia, to West Virginia area, no, I'm sorry, Eastern Kentucky area, and then we do a mission trip to Costa Rica, and we'll do as many mission trips as we have capable leaders to lead them, and we have the money to go. So then we do all the outreaches that I already mentioned here. So it's both here and there. It's not one or the other. So this is who God's called us to be. I want us to go to a time of ministry now. Beth, you can join me here. And Father, we just come to you right now, and we now thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, as you brought us a good report about what you're doing in Cairo. We thank you, Lord, what you're doing in the Aleppo region. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in eastern Kentucky. So God, now, as you 
Grow us. Grow this church. Grow our distinctives, God. Let us be the people that you've called us to be. Would you stand with me? As I went over that message from that question from Matthew 16, I want to ask you this question today. That Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? And you need to answer that today. And if you'd say that today, yeah, I'm answering that question today and I'm just choosing Jesus. If you're in the right section, just raise your hand if you're choosing Jesus today. Just saying that I need to choose him today. Anyone in that right section? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else in that right section? Thank you. Anyone in these middle sections? If, if that's you, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else in this middle section? I'm choosing Jesus today. Who do you say that I am? It's not anyone. Anyone in these center sections? Anyone in these center sections? Say, I'm choosing Jesus today. I'm your witness before the Father. Anyone in this far left section? Say, I'm choosing Jesus today. Just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now in that far left section. Anyone else? Anyone here today? Thank you, Father. Oh, the Lord is good. He is greatly to be praised. I know we've been given this relationship with Jesus that's better than anything. It's the meaning of our life. So many people are living meaningless lives. Not that there's not goodness in their talents and abilities, but at the end, if they haven't made peace with their God, what is there? What is there if we haven't made peace with our God? I'm praying that the church will rise here at the church at Indian Lake. I'm praying for the church to rise in the other churches in Hendersonville, the other churches in Gallatin, in the Nashville region. I'm praying for the church to rise in America, in the corners of our nation, that the Northeast and the Northwest would come back to the Lord. We can't just give up parts of our nation and say some parts geographically are spiritual and some parts are, are not. I'm praying in the Northeast that, that where the gospel came and the gospel was proclaimed through the congregational churches, through the forefathers in our nation who just came here for religious freedom, that God would rise up church planters again. And, and I'm going to tell you, some of you, listen, there's someone in here that God has called to plan a church, but I'm going to tell you this, that your, your, your call won't fully come into fruition until you're willing to leave home. It may be that we don't need another church in the South. Maybe that God's calling you to an unfamiliar land in the Northeast. Maybe that God's calling you to the Northwest. We've got to say yes to God above our comforts. We've got to say yes to God. Would the church rise again? I mean, can there be a revival in Boston? Can there be a new revival in New York? Can there be a revival in Portland? We can't just say Portland and Seattle. Yeah, that's just for a certain type of people. No, this is the church is for the whole nation. Let the church rise. Guess who the church is? The church is you and me. Let the church rise. Let the church come alive again. Let the church break out of just influence in the South and influence in the Midwest and let it spread coast to coast, coast to coast, every place. So the knowledge of the Lord will cover America just like the waters cover the sea. Do you believe it can happen? Can you believe that with Jesus, anything is possible? So where does it start? It starts right here with me. And it starts with you. If God's called you here, or maybe you're visiting and go to another church, it, 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 build your church. This is not about institutional advancement. 
Right? You hear sermons like this, and it's like the pastor wants to grow, right? Obviously, I want to grow. You all know that. But this is not about us growing. It's about you growing. It's about you tapping in to the purposes of God, tapping in to the call of God, tapping in to what God's doing. So at the end of your life, you won't just have money in the bank and the properties you own and a career to look back that you're going to have souls that you brought into the kingdom of God because you are a builder of the kingdom and you have built his church. And we, when we begin to have changed lives and lives begin to change, nothing can stop the advancement of the church. Amen.